let me ask you a question. Do you live life in black and white, or do you live life in color? In fact, what's your favorite color? I love green, especially spring green, sort of early, fresh growth. Um, spring green's my favorite. Um, I have a granddaughter who really likes pink paint, and I'm, she doesn't like it just a little bit. She likes pink everything, and usually she's dressed in pink. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, I went to Home Depot, um, and I was going to buy some white paint, but I ended up with some pink paint for a project, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it in a few minutes, okay? The year was 1951, June 25th. The world was about to change forever. CBS broadcast the first program ever in living color. RCA produced the first color television set. In 1951, it cost $995. That would be about 7000 of today's dollars. What's your perspective on life today? For about half of us, we would say it's really good, all's going well, praise the Lord. For about half of us, we would say that our hearts are breaking and that we're troubled. There are burdens that it seems like we just can't carry by ourselves. And as I begin today, let me tell you my premise out of Philippians 3. When we are imprisoned by the pains of the past and paralyzed by the fears of the future, we actually miss living life today. When we are imprisoned by the pains of the past and paralyzed by the fears of the future, we actually miss living life today. What I want to present to you as we go throughout this morning is this. Because Christ has wiped away the guilt of the sins of the past, because He brings healing to the pains of the past, we can move forward without fearing the future. And we can live today experiencing joy, living our lives in color, even in the brokenness. Don't miss living life today. In one sense, that's all we have. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come today. We come in our brokenness desiring to see more clearly. Father, we come some perhaps doubtful that there is anything for us here today. Father, some of us come wondering if you would show up. Father, we have all kinds of things going on in our lives and minds which would take our attention away from you. But we ask that your spirit would come in power and invade our lives and our minds, invade our complacencies and our unbelief. We ask that we would see Jesus and that he would change us. 
In fact, we ask that as a result of being with our family here today and hearing the word of God open to us, that we would know Jesus better and love him more. We pray in his name. Amen. We come today to get a small glimpse of the book of Philippians and the Apostle Paul. Before we read it, let me tell you a little bit about the background of the church there in Philippi, which was located in Macedonia or present-day Greece. Paul is writing to very dear friends and partners in the ministry. Acts 16 tells us about how the church was started when Paul got there. He, you remember there was a conversion at the river. Then you remember that there was an earthquake at the jail. And then there were a number of household baptisms and more things happened. But the church was formed. And now the former pastor is writing back, thanking them for their help and partnership in the gospel. The church had just sent a financial gift to Paul through a man named Epaphroditus. And I know some of you are about to have babies, and if you're looking for a biblical name, I want to encourage you to look somewhere else. Um, Epaphroditus just doesn't seem to work. I hope there are no Epaphrodituses here today. I'm sorry. Please forgive me if there is. I'm just kidding. Um, Epaphroditus, he got deathly ill after delivering this gift. And then after some period of time, He got much better, and he was going back to Philippi. And so Paul decides to send a new letter, that which we know as the book of Philippians, back to the church with Epaphroditus. It was probably the first missionary letter to ever go out to supporters. He was thanking them for their support. He was offering great encouragement to them in their walk with Christ and a challenge to keep going and pursuing knowing the Lord Jesus. The most amazing thing about the letter, though, is that Paul is chained and bound in a Roman jail. And there's joy in jail that is showing that he was living life today, that very day. Paul was convinced that the followers of Christ should live with joy And joy comes from being in relationship with Christ, not from our circumstances. I've asked Steve Holt if he would come and read God's Word to us, as found in Philippians 3. Steve. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. 
as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Steve. Paul could have sung that last song that Jack led us in, I boast no more. In chapter 3, Paul starts off by responding to the influence of the Judaizers. The Judaizers were those guys who would come in oftentimes after Paul had been to a city and preached and a church had been formed and started. Paul would leave the city. There'd be a young, fledgling group of believers there. And the Judaizers would come in with, with false teachings, usually with a list of things that they said, now you have to do this to be in right relationship with God. And in this case, the Judaizers came and they were saying that the Gentiles who had trusted Christ had to comply with certain Jewish rituals. In particular, the Gentile males had to be circumcised, which was not being received very well by many Gentile males. Paul boldly tackles the Judaizers. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. After that, we come down to a section in Philippians 3 that I want to deal with today. And that is Paul telling us his own story. He's mad at the Judaizers, um, but in a sense, he's mad because he had become mad at himself. He already had tried to add his own list to obtain a right relationship, a right standing with God, and he knew that it was meaningless. Paul understood where the Judaizers were coming from, for he had long since been a very staunch rule follower. And he becomes autobiographical here. And he describes how he had every reason to hold himself up in high esteem. The past does not put us in right relationship with God. 
Paul steps in as one who had been confident previously to trust in the things he did. Paul, trusting in himself, tells us how he was circumcised when he was eight days old, how he was from a pure Jewish family. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, the most favored of all the tribes. And the king, the first king of Israel, had come from the tribe of of Benjamin. In fact, Paul shared the same name, Saul of Tarsus, before becoming Paul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Perhaps Paul was he, or Saul was named after that first king. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, unlike many who had adopted Greek customs. He was the strictest of the Pharisees in law-keeping. He was zealous, even persecuting the Christians. He was blameless, faultless, a ruthless legalist. He followed all the rules. What Paul is doing here in counting those things out to us is confessing that he had put his identity and standing before God in his own accomplishments. He had been thinking, God will surely love me more because look who I am. I'm Jewish. I'm circumcised. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And he thought, surely God will love me more. Look what I have been doing. I've kept the law. I'm zealous. I persecute Jesus' followers. I'm a strict legalist. Question for us. Do you and I have any idea how much the past controls us? In what have you and I put our identity? Is it in family or accomplishments or possessions or behavior? Is your identity wrapped in your past sin and you just can't get past it? Paul was putting much more than just his identity in the past. He was claiming that his own righteousness before God from his heritage and his zeal. And he was saying, this puts me in right relationship, my righteous behavior. What about us? Do you and I think that our lineage, as beautiful as it may be for some of us, somehow puts us in a better position with God than someone else? Do we think that we have been educated in a field or a certain trade, that we are something special to God? Do you think that we are just a little bit smarter and see things more clearly than others? I don't know what you're thinking when I ask that question, but let me tell you about myself. I think I see things more clearly and a little bit more accurately than other people sometimes. I think more highly of myself than I should. I have good company. Paul's there, and my guess is some of you are there also. Um, Where do disagreements come from if they don't come from that? When we think that we see things more accurately than the next person, Um, that's where the disagreements come from. And some of us are professionals at it. And when we are, we hurt people and we become self-righteous 
and we are utterly no fun to be around. Paul is telling his story here, and he's repenting of it. He now sees those very things that he thought were credits to his account as rubbish. Like Paul, I think we all at times bargain with God, thinking God will love me more if I keep more rules, or God will love me more if I don't yell at the kids so much, or God will love me more if I get up extra early to read my Bible, even though I'm falling asleep during it. Or God will love me more if I perform or give or do. Or God will love me more if... And you fill in the blank. Do you ever do that with God? Now, some of you know me, and you've known me for a long time. um, And I have always been a rule follower. And for a very, very long time, I really thought, that because I was a rule follower, that God was going to love me a little bit more. In fact, today's probably the first day that I've ever said this um, to a group of people. When I was in high school and decided to go toward the ministry, I really thought that God was going to love me a little bit more. Okay, I've confessed that, so let me go a step further. When I decided to go to the mission field and went to Mexico, I really thought that God was going to love me a little bit more. A huge break came for me in 1988 at the birth of Jonathan and David at 29 weeks. Um, Jonathan's sitting on the front row here. I don't know why you're sitting there all by yourself. You, 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 were, you were a good son to me. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> I don't know where Rita is, so, um, um, so <laughs> um, they were born early. Some of y'all were around at that time, and you remember um, the difficulties we had. They were about the size of two large squirrels, um, and... Um, They spent 40 days in the hospital, and I can remember about 10 days into it, driving down I-4 to um, ORMC, to the um, neonatal unit there, and I was bawling. I shouldn't have been driving. And all of a sudden, um, through the tears, I found myself saying, okay, Lord, I get it. There's nothing I can do. I've been bargaining with God. I know, Lord, you already love us. The twins are yours. We bargain so often. Now, I could say that it was just my youth or that I was being young in the faith. Um, But you know what? I can still find myself doing that. Um, And I start bargaining with God. Can you relate? But then we think, how can God love you and me more than he has already? For while we were yet sinners, Paul tells us that Christ came and he died for us. 
We do all the good things that we do, not to gain God's love, but in order to say thank you for your love for me. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was convinced that he had it right when all of a sudden God invades his life on that road to Damascus. And he brought as radical a change as you can imagine in the life of one man. And so Paul writes in verse 12, Christ has made me his own. Another translation says, I was laid hold of by Christ. Can you and I say with Paul, Christ has made me his own. Beginning in verse 7, Paul, after Christ has made him his own, is actually confessing his wrongdoing and acknowledging that his righteousness, that he has been holding up, does not come from himself. But the only righteousness he has comes from Christ, not from his own heritage, not from his behavior. The righteousness of Christ has been transferred to Paul's account and to your account and to my account coming to us through faith. Verse 7 says this, For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The only righteousness that we have comes from Christ. I love how Phil Riken, president at Wheaton College, puts it. He says, Paul writes of all his own achievements, he writes off all his own achievements as liabilities and simultaneously claims the righteousness of Christ as his only asset. Very important. Listen to that again. Paul writes off all his own achievements as liabilities and simultaneously claims the righteousness of Christ as his only asset. Paul's life goes from a preoccupation with his own self-righteousness to an embracing of being bathed in the righteousness of Jesus. Paul was not your everyday run-of-the-mill Pharisee. He did everything to the fullest, to the max, whether it was following rules or studying or persecuting. And Paul, after Christ has made him his own, has a new passion. And that new passion is to know Christ. He says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Knowing is not just about knowing data about Jesus. Paul already had known lots of stuff about Jesus. Knowing means relationship. And relationship implies love and trust and dependence. Paul had been rescued and redeemed. And we can know that in our love relationship with Christ, 
that he cares about everything that we care about. In fact, he probably cares even more. Just yesterday morning, I was in Starbucks here in Maitland, and I was studying, and in comes a father with his daughter, probably about four years old. And the father sits down at a table. Um, She's there. He gets his coffee. And all of a sudden, she pulls out a bag. And out of the bag are three Barbie dolls and the ponies that go with each Barbie doll. I didn't know Barbie dolls had ponies, but apparently they do. And it was so cool because the father sat there and played with his daughter with these Barbie dolls and the ponies. He was absolutely oblivious to 25 other people in there at the time. Well, I got up to leave, and as I was going out, I realized that he was um, just getting into, with his daughter and her Barbie dolls, a big, doubled cab, loud pickup truck. And I went over to him and I said, can I tell you something? What do you say to somebody asking you that? But sure, Um, who are you? And I said, I just want you to know that you're probably the best dad that I'm going to see today. And he didn't know, obviously, what to say. Um, And he said, why are you saying that? And I said, because of the way that you were just enthralled with your daughter and sitting there at the table playing with the dolls. And he really got sort of embarrassed, didn't know what to say. And then absolutely giddily, he said, I just can't help it. (laughs) And as I was thinking about that afterwards, that's it. God loves us in Jesus. He makes us his own. He can't help it. That's who he is. God rescues and redeems. He cares about us. He makes us his own, for we are his children. And when this happened to Paul, his passion became knowing Jesus, being in a relationship with Jesus. Nothing beats knowing Jesus. Paul dives in to the fullest. Paul gave himself fully to knowing Christ, but also he wanted everyone else to know the same Christ. Now, if you remember back when Paul was out persecuting people, he thought it would put him in right favor with God. And there's absolutely no indication that he was worried at all about anybody else's standing before God other than to judge their non-standing before God. Look at the contrast now. He's laid hold of by Christ. He has been given the righteousness of Christ. He knows Christ and the power of his resurrection and he wants everybody else to know Christ. Paul's life goes from persecuting others to proclaiming the love of Jesus to others. To anyone who would listen, whether they were by the river or whether they were in the jail 
or later on Mars Hill in Athens. From city to city, he went proclaiming the love of Jesus to others because he wanted them also to know Jesus. What about you and me? Do we know Jesus and not just stuff about him? What do you feel? Do you feel loved? Do you feel rescued and redeemed? Do you feel the burden of the past having been lifted? Do we even care sometimes that others know Christ or not? Paul says to forget what lies behind. Verse 13, brothers... One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Actually, Paul has not forgotten anything. He's not forgotten his past. He's telling us about it in the previous verses. So what is he saying? What he is saying is that he no longer is relying upon his past for identity or to establish his relationship with God. And he refuses to give power to his sins of the past to control him. Whether that was the sin of persecuting the followers of Christ, or the sin of trusting in himself rather than in Christ. He refuses to give his past the power to give identity to him. Forgetting here is a commitment and a promise to not bring it up for future ammunition against himself. Forgetting is not giving power to forgiven sin. And don't you dare allow Satan to bring back up in your life those sins that Christ has died for. You're not to hold them against yourself if God does not hold them against you. Forget what lies behind. Don't give the past power over you. There are things out of our past that we're not proud of. We all have hurts and wounds from our past. Do those things define us? Do they control us? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Oh, you can know it in your head. But the self-talk, In those times of difficulty, the self-talk that you hear coming from your own self will tell you whether or not you believe it right here in your heart. That your sins are forgiven. Do you continue to beat yourself up for the sins that Christ has died for and He's washed you clean of? Do you allow the past to obstruct how you live today? I told you that I bought some pink paint at Home Depot and I didn't go in to buy pink paint. I went in to buy white paint and the guy there um, convinced me that this was the paint that I needed. Now, this is ceiling paint and some of you know about this really cool paint that somebody created. Um, If you've painted a ceiling before, you know how difficult it is to tell what you've painted when it's white and you're putting white on it. 
So somebody came up with the idea, we'll make it out pink. And with all the changes in hitting atmosphere, etc., it turns white. And it really does. It's, it's, it's doing it better than last um, service. That's good. Um, but let me tell you the rest of the story. I was already self-conscious. Nobody else was with me. Um, and it says pink on there. So I get to the counter. And as I was going from the basket to the counter, I dropped it. Okay, I wasn't very good in science, but I did learn that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And boy, did it prove itself true in Home Depot. You drop a can of paint, weighs about 10 pounds, onto a solid concrete floor. It exploded. And everybody comes running to see what was that noise. And so there I am standing in the middle of a pink, it it was a lake, and it was just going like this. And I'm standing literally in the middle of it. And I wanted so badly to say, it's not really pink. (laughs) But I knew that that was not the time and place. So, I apologized profusely to the four Home Depot workers that were there, and I traipsed out to my car, leaving pink footsteps <laughs> the, the whole way. And so, I went home. I don't know um, who I told about it. In fact, my kids told me this week when I was talking about it that um, they had never heard the story before. So, after counseling, I went back. Okay, about a week later, and I bought some more pink, white ceiling paint, and I carried it really carefully to the counter. Um, And I went home, I painted the ceilings, which need to be painted again now. Um, But when I got to the counter, the only thing that I saw, the same counter, there was this white stain. Not pink, it was white. I thought, man, this is pretty cool. About three months later, I was back in there because I'd go back in every week to check on it. And um, (laughs) it it was was Lake Creech. It really was. And about three months later, it was gone completely. Do you know that your sin and my sin is not pink? Our sin is black. And Jesus has come And he has shed his blood, not pink, but bright red living blood in order to turn our sins white, white as snow. They are forgiven and washed away by blood. When we are given the righteousness of Christ, as we trust in him by faith, when Christ makes us His own. Our sins are forgiven. We are able to, with Paul, say, forget what lies behind and reach forward to what is ahead. We are able to give the past no power over us and to look into the future without fear 
and apprehension. We are able to live life today in color. In Philippians 3, Paul told us his story. Let me read you another story. It touches a number of the themes that I've touched today. This is a present-day Paul, giving no power to the past, nor fearing the future. This is a pastor in Zimbabwe. The man in Band of Brothers heard it this past week. Let me read it to you. I'll start in the middle. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visioned, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. Sounds a little bit like the Apostle Paul. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor with love. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. Secure. Sometime after writing this letter, this young pastor in Zimbabwe was martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus. I invite you this morning to embrace afresh, or perhaps for the first time, the love and the forgiveness and the grace of the Lord Jesus that allows you to truly see your sins as white as fresh snow, not pink, turned white by some chemical reaction when exposed to air, but sin, black as the darkest night, saturated by the most crimson and purest blood ever poured out. And now you are white, but the sin is carried away by the one who has loved you with an everlasting love. We have a God who is holy and has amazing power not to do some hocus-pocus with a chemical reaction and paint-changing colors, but we have a holy God who has the power to forgive sins and make us, through the righteousness of Christ, white as snow. When we're imprisoned by the pains of the past and paralyzed by the fears of the future, we actually miss living life today. And living life today is knowing Christ. A few thoughts as we conclude. I ask you if your life is lived in black and white or in full color. If you're living with the past raising its head, and with the past, sin or success, haunting you, you're living in black and white. 
If you're living eaten up with the past and consumed by the fears of the future, you're living in black and white. If you're living aware that Christ has made you His own, that He has given you His righteousness, that your past is forgiven and holds no power over you, and that the future is not to be faced with any fear or trepidation because the future is held by your Savior Himself. If you can live that way, you're living in full color, living life today. What's your favorite color? Did anybody say white? Maybe for the follower of Christ, forgiven and cleansed, maybe we should think white. White, if you know anything about the science of light, is needed for all the other colors of the spectrum to be active. Live life today in color. Jesus changes everything. Let us pray. Our Father, we come to you today, and even as we sit here, we are prone to bargain with you over the brokenness in our lives. We have fears, we admit that, but we long to live content in your love. Father, by your Spirit, would you come and allow us to know the depths of your love and the depths of our being? Would you give us the hunger of Paul to know Jesus? Would you let us rest in your faithfulness, knowing that you go with us through the water and through the fire. You know us by name and call us precious in your sight. In the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.